Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email from a person who did not want to talk on the show, and boy, do I get that. They feel like if people hear their voice, it will no longer be anonymous. So feel free to email me at carol at carolthecoach.com. And on occasion, I get those brave people that go, if somebody's listening to this show, they probably have the same problem. I'm not going to worry about it. And I would agree with you. You know, I just spent four days in Phoenix at the Certified Sexual Addictions Therapist Conference held by ITAP the International Trauma and Addiction Specialist Group. And I got to tell you, we learned some incredible things about brain science. And what we know as certified sexual addictions therapists is that it's not just about your willpower. It's not just about your choice. It's not just about your desire. It is how the brain functions. Now, this is not a get-out-of-jail card, but what it is is an opportunity to talk about how the brain lights up when certain stimuli occur. Now, maybe that stimuli occurred early on in your sexual development when you were abused or molested. Maybe that stimuli occurred early in your childhood when you found your mother or your father's pornography. You know, clearly, it's very impactful when you identify what your parents did, what was available to you via your family that reinforced the kinds of fetishes, the kinds of compulsivity, the kinds of urges that you have as a result. So what what I want to tell you is that don't be so hard on yourself. If you have some compulsive behaviors, you want to get with a good certified sexual addictions therapist and figure out two things. Why do you have them? And sometimes the why is absolutely unknown, truly. But oftentimes it's not. When we do a deep dive into your history, we can figure out why you have the quirks, the fetishes, the kinks, and the compulsivity that you do. And then what 
do you do about it? I mean, more importantly, it's about, hey, what do you do? You know, I was talking with a sex addict um, at the end of last week. And he had been contacted by an old ex-partner. Well, it wasn't even an ex-partner. It was a prostitute. And he was appalled because he was in good recovery. And you know what he did? He went into secrecy, just like he had when he was in sexual addiction land. Okay, so now just get this. Here is this man who is acting out all the time in all sorts of ways that he knew would be irreprehensible to his wife, his family, and his community. Now he's in good recovery. And what happens? He gets the text from somebody from his past. And what does he do? He goes back into secrecy. That is what I don't want you to do. I want you to call somebody in the fellowship, call a sponsor, call somebody in your Bible study, call somebody that understands this issue and talk it out with them. And more than likely, if you have a spouse, they're going to tell you, unless your spouse has said, I don't want to know these kinds of things, more than likely she does. And so that person will help you work through this so that you can talk about it with your wife. You can say, hey, I was contacted today. I have not responded. Do you want to help me respond? And maybe that looks like I have no desire to talk with you any further. Or maybe it's a no response. You just do not respond. But you do that with your partner, and then you block them. End of discussion. Trust me, a prostitute, a masseuse, an escort, if they don't get a response from you, they're going to move on. Because the good news and the bad news is that they are exploiting you. And so if you don't respond to them, they're not going to waste their time on you because no matter what your fantasy is, they want to make money from you. They want a service agreement of some sort that says that they will make X amount of money from you. If you don't respond, end of, end of um, decision. You don't have to feel bad. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel mean. And see, what I know to be true is that when I talk to my addicts, they do feel like they're cheating the escort, the masseuse, or the prostitute because they did have a relationship. But here's what I want to tell you. It was transactional. Now, if you're a gay man and you participated in a lot of sex, more than likely that was transactional too. You know, in the gay world, there is a lot of transactional sex that goes on. No, it's not about money, but it's about experience. And when you don't respond to that person, you're basically saying, I no longer want the experience. And when you say, I no longer want the experience, then what you're really saying is, I no longer want you to contact me anymore. So it's important to know what what is out there, what feelings you have about what is out there, and how do you disengage from it to lead a healthier, more normal life? Because it is absolutely not normal to have available to you a prostitute to have available to you an escort, to have available to you a masseuse, um, or to have any kind of sex worker that wants money for a transactional service. Okay, that is my spiel on what do you do 
when somebody contacts you from your past and you're in good recovery. Very important for you to know what to do because if you start worrying about it and flirting with it, you may end up sending the wrong message. And that is the last thing you want to do. Now, tonight, we actually have um, an amazing author. His name is David Essel, and we've had him on the show before. He has written a lot of articles, and he's written this book, and now he's on his second book called Focus. And, you know, he talks about what is normal sexuality, And, you know, one of the things that I know is that not everything that works for people out there in the general population works for you. And one of the reasons is because you can be triggered. And when you get triggered as a sex addict, it can make you want to go back to old behaviors. So I'm going to be talking to David about focus. Um, creating his goals, and I want to talk about his idea of self-love and mindfulness and, you know, things that have entered our culture, Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, the very popular sex series that absolutely positively endorses S&M. Now, what I know to be true is that in a normal sexual population, people can explore that kind of behavior and decide for themselves if that is an area that they choose. But what I do with addicts and with their partners is help them to decide Hey, your goal is intimacy. What builds connection? What builds that sense of intimacy? And we take it from there. That is our goal. So, you know, if the general population does A and we do B, it doesn't mean B is any lesser than A or A is any lesser than B, but it means that we have to stay on track What is going to help you be honest, open, authentic, genuine, transparent? And what's going to make you feel good about yourself and is going to fortify your partnership, your coupleship? And if you're a single sex addict out there, then what I want you to do is to figure out what you can do to live your best life so that you are happy with somebody or without. Many of you know I was 44 till I got married, and I didn't meet the man that I was going to marry until I was 42. I didn't really start dating till I was 39. I had no desire. I was having a great time with my friends. There was nothing wrong with my choices, but it was not apropos for the culture. And if you have good self-esteem and you know what's good for you, it really doesn't matter what other people think. And so I want you to think about when you have felt pressured in the past to conform or comply to something that you really didn't feel comfortable with. That can be terribly difficult. But when you make that decision and when you decide what is it that I need to do to feel good about myself, and to be in integrity, wow, it makes all the difference in the world. And that's what this show is about. It's about finding your authenticity, your honesty, your transparency. And let's face it, that is a journey. That's not a start here and there. And so your journey will have some bumps some rough spots, and that's okay, too. You know, I just recently gave a workshop, well, actually it was yesterday, on how couples could develop empathy and what do they do 
to build trust in the other person, and what happens if they slip? You know, that can take the trust down. So what do you do to get back on track and build it up some more? Because I wish this were a straight and narrow pathway, but it's not. I mean, some people do it from zero to 100 right off the bat. But a lot of people have some slips. They have some falls. They they get caught up. And the most important thing is they're honest. Maybe it's they're honest with their partner. Maybe they're honest with their sponsor. Maybe they're honest with their fellowship. Maybe they're honest with their Bible study. It just kind of depends on who is your group, who is your tribe. And it's really all about the tribe. We all want to belong, and we all want to know that we have people that we can do that with. And when that happens... There is nothing better. And that's what I'm here to tell you. I mean, I cannot emphasize enough that it's all about belonging and it's all about feeling good. Feeling good about yourself and feeling congruent with what your own values are. And that's what we're going to be talking with David Essel about. He is a guru on love and sexual recovery. I mean, he does relationship work, and he's got this new book, and I want him to talk about it because it's all about finding love and compatibility no matter where you've been or what has happened to you in your past. So, David, welcome to the show. Hey, Carol, nice to be with you. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm all just fabulous and excited about your topic and your show. I know that there are millions of people that need this information. So this is awesome, Carol. Well, you're exactly right. And if you remember, I work with sex addicts, I work with partners, and I work with people that are wondering about their sexuality. So tell me a little bit about your new book, Focus. Well, the book, Focus, Slay Your Goals, it went number one bestseller about two months ago, which, of course, we're extremely excited about. And basically what we do is we take people through a process, Carol, of helping them to find what is the one major goal they need to go after right now. You know, so many times people get super confused because they say, well, I need to lose weight. I need to make money. Maybe it's an addiction I need to go after. I need to save this relationship or find a new one. Or, you know, we've talked many times in the past on different programs about this whole key concept of finding people who are sexually compatible with ourselves. So the book, what it does is that it takes you through a process, step by step, whoever's reading it, on how to pick that one goal, not to get confused, not to go after major two or three or four major goals at the same time, but how to choose that one goal And then when you do find that one goal to go after, let's say it's a sexual addiction, or let's say that you're out of a series of terrible relationships and you know that the one thing is to try to find out what your role is in creating these dysfunctional relationships, then we set you up on a 90-day program in the book that we believe quite firmly that if you follow six days a week for about an hour a day, it doesn't matter if it's recovery or finances, that at the end of 90 days, you can have such a great inroad into recovery, into healing, into changing your life. But there's a catch here. And the reality is, Carol, is that if you're not willing to put an hour a day into whatever major Mm -hmm. goal you have for 90 straight days, then don't even bother changing. Don't even bother trying to change. And I know that's a really strong message on my part, but one of the things that I see in this world is that people are still looking for the quick fix. We're looking for that lose 30 pounds in 30 days type nonsense. And our book looks at this world and more from a realistic point of view, that if you want something big, you've got to put the effort into it. Oh, I absolutely agree. So let's just assume that you're talking to single sex addicts that are in recovery, and they are wanting to, although there's a lot of trepidation, they are wanting to find the right person. 
So share a little bit about what you would advise them. We've already heard you got to put one hour into it a day, and I'm a coach, so I can really appreciate the that you've got to do your part if you want the universe to give back to you. That's right. Exactly. Well, Carol, let, let's, let's just be frank. If, if we're talking about a sex addict who wants a relationship, I would mm-hmm. tell them don't even think about a relationship until you have recovered from your own addiction. Mm-hmm. And we know that I'd that, that is not go- something that you end up doing. It is a process. So let's say that we're talking to recovering addicts that have six months, nine months, a year's worth of recovery. They haven't slipped. They're doing all the steps. They're going to 12-step meetings. They've got a sponsor. They're reading the right materials. They're meditating. They're praying. I mean, they are doing what it takes to stay sober. What would your next piece of advice be for them? Well, in our practice, we believe if someone is clean for 365 days in a row and they haven't used Mm -hmm. pornography and haven't done uh, Friends with Benefits and they're working a 365-day program, which it takes for any addiction. You know, I don't care Mm -hmm. if it's sex addiction, alcoholism, nicotine. If you're not putting seven days a week, 365 days a row, then I'm going to tell you you're not recovered. You're not even recovering. But for the person that's put 365 days in a row, we actually, I'm going to jump the universe here, and I'm going to say, quit even saying you're a sex addict. If you're committing seven days a week, you can, rec- you can just say you're a fully recovered person. Now, my philosophies go against traditional recovery programs because okay. I, don't think, I don't think that once you're an addict, you're always an addict. I think that's a bunch of nonsense, Carol. I don't think once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. I think that's a lot of nonsense. What we do when we have a person that you've just lined out, they've worked 365 days in a row, they've never relapsed, they're doing the work. They're working with a counselor, a sponsor. You know, I even say to people, honestly, I think sponsors are fine. I don't think they're enough. I don't think a 12-step sponsor is enough in order to help a person become fully recovered. I think that they can be an adjunct, but I really think you need to work with someone like myself, a counselor, a therapist, along with a 12-step. Because let's be honest, a sponsor has great intention with no training whatsoever. That is a huge difference. There's a massive difference between someone that's gone through the schooling that understands what's the cause of sexual addiction, where did it begin, I don't know too many sponsors in SAA or SLA that can really come up with strong scientific answers for those questions. So let's go back to what you proposed. If someone is working with a counselor and they're going to, let's say, three days a week of 12-step meetings, but they've got a a seven-day-a-week program and they have a sponsor, to me, at the end of the year, they are recovered. So now we're talking about a recovered person who's looking for a love relationship. Step number one is I would have them write about the dysfunction that they brought to past relationships. Are they codependent? Are they passive aggressive? Are they over domineering? Do they have a fear of intimacy, meaning they have a fear of being honest in relationships? I would have them strip down mentally and emotionally and look at all of the things that they brought into love relationships outside of their sexual addiction that did not work, that were filled with, with, with the dysfunction. That would be step number one. And then step number two is that I would help them set up a plan to eradicate their codependent nature, their enabling, their passive-aggressive behavior. Because what we see in our work, Carol, of 28 years is that until an individual in relationships full responsibility for their role in past dysfunction and heals that role of past dysfunction, there's nothing good coming out of the world of relationships for them from now into the future. Well, and okay, David, one of the things that I love about this show is that we entertain a lot of different philosophies and belief systems. So 
even if I don't necessarily agree with your um, belief about recovery, what I really love, especially because I'm a clinician and a coach, is that you are opening up the world in a different way to people who have been shamed and enslaved to their sex addiction. So if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is, hey, Carol, if somebody's practicing recovery and they've done well for a year and they've figured out the formula, whether it is a sponsor, whether it's a mentor, whether it's a discipline, whether it's a change in philosophy, principle, whatever, then they are ready to take their life to the next level. And this is what you teach them with focus, correct? Oh, absolutely, Carol. And what you just said is crucial. And and I'm going to talk about this for everyone who's listening who's an opiate addict in recovery, an alcoholic in recovery, a sex addict in recovery, that it's all the same. When we carry, and this is, you know, now I love 12-step programs. A portion of it I love because it allows us to be vulnerable. It allows us to be humble and makes us ask for help. And all of that is crucial for sex addiction recovery. However, Mm -hmm. the biggest problem with 12-step is that they're working off of a model that's 70 years old, Carol, that's never been updated. We have so much great information about the world of sex addiction and recovery. In my philosophy, you can be recovered for life, as I mentioned earlier, which helps shatter shame and guilt because you know this, one of the greatest things that throws someone into relapse is shame and guilt and or Mm -hmm. guilt. And we also know that when we don't teach people how to deal with low self-esteem and low low self-confidence, when we don't help them to, to deal with boredom, when we don't help to deal with excitement, rejection, anger, resentment, they're going to go back to relapse. But if we can teach them the basics of this, which very few programs do, unfortunately, we can get them to a place of saying that I am David Essel. It's not I am David Essel, a sex addict or a recovering sex addict or recovered. It's just I am David Essel. When Uh we get to that place... When we get to that place, Carol, there is no shame. There's no need to bring up your past. And we even coach my clients when we tell them that we still enjoy 12-step meetings and they can be a good place for reinforcement. We tell them, don't, don't use your name and say you're a sex addict. If you haven't acted out in 365 days and if you're on a program, to me that's ridiculous to say that I am a sex addict. I am an alcoholic. Because how are we going to ever build self-confidence and self-esteem when we're calling ourselves and labeling ourselves something that we no longer are? No, I absolutely get that. So tell me a little bit about how you might work with somebody who's had these issues and has, has mastered or conquered them. They're in great recovery, and they want to find love and compatibility. Okay, well, the first thing is what I said a while ago is that I would ask them to pull out all of that darkness in the closet, all of the dysfunction that they have had in relationships, and to heal themselves first, number one. Number two, in our book, Focus, Slay Your Goals, we have a complete chapter on profound love that every sex addict or recovering sex addict or former sex addict would really benefit from reading. And when we talk about profound self-love in the world of singles, we created a program 20 years ago called David Essel's 3% Rule of Dating. And it's a little different when you're looking to find a great partner than what most of the books teach today. Most of the books teach about looking for compatibility, attractiveness, uh, all these things that you want to have in common with someone, which we think are fine. But what we have found is that there's something much more important, Carol, than looking for someone who's six feet tall, blonde hair, blue eyes, or someone who's five foot one, dark hair, black eyes, or whatever these books tell us to write down those dream lists about. There's something much more important. The 3% rule of dating says this. You can have 97% compatibility in a love relationship. But if that person brings to the table any of your deal killers, 
which I'll explain how you create your list of deal killers. You can have 97% compatibility, but if they have a deal killer, that relationship is done. It won't, and if it does last, it's going to be filled with chaos and drama. So what's a deal killer? If you look, if everyone watching right now grabbed a piece of paper and wrote down the characteristics of past relationships that never worked for you, in other words, you have people that smoked and you're not a smoker. They drank too much. Maybe they were a sex addict as well. You had people that were outrageously codependent on mom or dad, even though they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. We look at the traits. Maybe it's a religion thing. Maybe, you know, you tried to date outside your religion and it never worked. Um, whatever those deal killers are, it, maybe it's someone that has children and you're really not into kids. Or maybe you really want a child. And so you, but you've dated people in the past that really weren't into having children. See, these are all deal killers. If you were to write out the list of things that do not work for you and you really emblazing them in your conscious and subconscious mind, if you're super attracted to someone, but within the first 30 or 60 or 90 days, you go, oh, my gosh, this person drinks when I really don't want to be with a drinker or they've got three kids. What am I doing here? Or they don't want kids, and I really do. The most important thing to us is to find the deal killers and then to be able to walk away. And this is hard. It sounds so easy if you're not in a relationship. Oh, I know exactly what won't work for me. But when you, when you get lust involved and desire and attraction, it's really hard to walk away from someone that has a deal killer. But let me go back to my first premise. You can have 97% compatibility in love, but if someone has a characteristic that has never worked for you and you don't want it to work in the future, you have to be willing to let the relationship go and to look for someone that does not bring one of your deal killers to the table. Yeah, I can absolutely understand that. That makes total sense. And, you know, it is true whether I'm working with people clinically or I'm working with people in coaching, it is very difficult for them to identify what the deal breakers are. You know, they they want to give that person or that coupleship or that experience the benefit of the doubt when their gut is saying, you know what, this is not what I really want in my life. But they hang on. And that certainly is not creating the focus that you want them to have. Yeah, exactly, Carol. It's, and this is what I said. You're so right. It's hard. You know, like, like you, you meet someone and, and listen, a lot of us are really good actors. For a month or two months, at the most three months, we can pull a wall over someone's eyes. We can tell them that we love sports and we hate sports. We, we could do all this kind of stuff. But eventually – these little flags are going to start popping up. So if you're 30 or 60 or 90 days in a new relationship and you're smitten by this person and you say, well, you know, smoking isn't that big. As a matter of fact, I've got a couple of stories. One, this woman came to me and we had worked on her deal killers and one of her deal killers was smoking. And so she meets this guy and on the first date she said, you know, on your profile it said you're a non-smoker, but I, I definitely smell smoking. He goes, oh, you know, I was at this event and blah, blah, blah. So he was lying right away. Anyway, mm-hmm. it, they, didn't, they didn't kiss for the first maybe six, seven dates. And then when he did, even though he was chewing gum and everything else, she said, oh, my God, this is disgusting. However, he had a lot of money, Carol, and he mm-hmm. was taking her on trips. And he was taking her on trips. So she's coming into me and going, I've never been treated so well. This guy is the man of my dreams. He's, she's going on and on. She's trying to convince herself that this smoking thing wasn't that big of a deal. She goes for nine months. The relationship totally blows up. The last 60 days of it, just about after the first 30, the, first, the last 60 days of it, all they did was argue about his smoking. And when she finally came in and said it was over, I said, you know, we do, did all that work on your deal killer list, and yet you didn't pay attention to what you had written down. And so when I tell people, Carol, that you've got to get very serious and take a half an hour, look at your past relationships, you know, were people demeaning to you and you stayed? 
Were they lazy? There, there's a, a woman I'm working with right now. She it was in an 11-year relationship. The guy that she was dating was lazier than you could believe. She owned her own business. She brought him into work the business. He barely worked a day in his life for 11 years, and she lived in hell for those 11 years. And why? Because so many of us do not have the confidence or self-esteem to be alone and happy. Yeah, I oftentimes say, David, is that they're willing to settle even though once they make that choice to settle, they're miserable. Mm. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, we, I mean, we could, we could probably share stories back and forth, Carol. I know you've been doing this a long time. And when I look at the individuals, another example, and, of course, about 70% of my practice is women. That's about the average for most counselors and coaches in the world of relationships. About 70%. So when I had a woman come in and, you know, she had fallen head over heels for this guy, and on their first date, the guy put down um, a woman at a cash register and, and was very rude to her. Now, that, of course, should have been something that she spoke up about. And she really should have said, hey, when they walked out of the store, you know, I didn't really appreciate the way you talked to that girl at the cash register. She should have said something. But She's outrageously codependent. She didn't want to rock the boat. She was so happy to be in a relationship. She had been out of a relationship for three years single, and she hung in there. And eventually, as you know, the end of the story, it continued to get worse. Her heart was shattered, and now she has resentments against men that we're working on. And so when I tell people, listen, I know this sounds brutal. You know, you're asking me to write down a list of things that don't work so I can start Xing men or women off of the dating world. And I go, yes, because it's more important that you do the work up front and you're willing to walk. If that person won't change, you can give them a chance to change. Like you can say, hey, you know, when we go out, you drink too much for me. If you'd like to change that drinking, I would like to see you. But if you'd rather not, I'm not going to be your mom. It just, it just won't work. Or, you know, if someone smokes or does drugs or whatever it might be, or they have kids and you go, gosh, you know what? I have to be honest with you. You're so attractive, and I think you're a great person, but I'm really not into helping raise young children. Whatever the deal breaker is, you have to have the confidence to stand up, and in some cases, you might ask the person to change, and if they choose not to, there's nothing wrong with them. You are the one that must move on. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think we're on the same page here in terms of people having the confidence in themselves to stay true to themselves, to be authentic and to trust. You know, I've said this before, people make decisions based on what they think, how they feel, and what they know. Their head their heart, and their gut, their intellect, their emotions, and their intuition. And you and I are both saying, follow those things. If your intuition says, this is not a good choice, his breath makes me sick because he's a smoker, but the intellect says, oh, but he's rich and he can, he can take me places that I want to go, then you really got to pay attention to, hey, what do your emotions say? And more than likely, whatever two of the three things say, if they, if they match at all, they're guiding you into what you really should do, even if there's conflict within yourself. That's correct. And, and you know, there's, there's a lot more pressure on women to be in relationships than men. There always has been, probably always will be. So when, you know, if you're a woman listening to us right now and two out of four of your girlfriends or four out of five of your girlfriends are married or they're in relationships, there can be this unspoken or sometimes this incredibly loudspoken uh, agreement that, you know, what's wrong? Like, you've got to get going. And if no one's saying it to the woman who's single, she's feeling it. Or maybe her parents are. Or maybe all the ads on TV, radio, and the Internet are talking about how there must be something wrong with her because she's single and everyone's telling me I'm a great catch. That kind of pressure is really unfortunate. And, and I'll say this again, it affects more women than it does men. And that's not fair, but that's life. Life isn't fair. 
And so we have to look at it and say those individuals with really high self-confidence and self-esteem will have the patience to do the exercises I'm talking about tonight, all of these exercises, and a lot more in the area of profound love is in our brand-new book, Focus, Slay Your Goals. If you go through it and follow what we say, you will understand the power of not choosing someone that has deal killers. You'll understand the importance of being happy alone. And if someone can master being happy on Friday and Saturday nights by themselves, whether they go out or not, if they're not using some type of an addictive substance or behavior, and they can truly be happy, you are setting yourself up for a great relationship in the future. That neediness, that feeling that you're losing out on life because you're single will get you trapped in a crappy relationship faster than we could believe. Well, 100%. And now let's just talk a little bit about your book. Where can people get your book? And, again, that's called Focus, Slay, let's see here, Slay Your Goals, right? Yes. Yeah, you can get it at Amazon.com, any major bookstores. If you go to my website, talkdavid.com, T-A-L-K-David.com, you can read Mm -hmm. a free preview of the book there. Um, You know, there's all kinds of interviews, Carol, like we're doing with you right now that are on the website that people can listen to to get even more information about the book. And in the chapter on profound love, we also do something that is, I, I think, crucially important for people to understand. And we explain something called the love scale. And we put love on a scale of 1 to 10. On the love Mm -hmm. scale, from 1 to 4, it's all unhealthy forms of love. It's still love. Like in in level 1, you could be abused, physically abused by your boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife. You could say, I love this person more than I've loved anyone else in the world, and you are correct. Physical abuse is an absolute form of love. Emotional neglect is an absolute form of love. On the scale, it's on the dysfunctional side, but mm-hmm. it's still love. And when, when people, you know, and, and I didn't agree with this. 20 years ago, when we started this whole new, new look at love, if I worked with an abused woman, especially someone who had been in a shelter at least once or twice, they would come in the office and they'd be telling me how much they still love this man who was put in jail for 60, 90 days because of of the physical abuse. And I would say, you know what, honey, that's not real love. But I was wrong. It is real love. Yeah, I call it unhealthy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. It's dysfunctional, unhealthy love, but it is love. And nine out of ten times, that woman and that man, whatever side of the fence they're on in the dysfunction, they learn that from their home, from their upbringing. And all they're doing is repeating the past. And then we move up to level five. So there's all, you know, there's passive aggressive behavior, codependency, uh, emotional neglect, physical neglect, addiction. All of that is in the levels one through four. And when we get to healthy love, which starts at level five in the book, we talk about that the two most important keys there are friendship and respect. That's it, right there. That's the starting point of healthy love. So if you're with someone right now that you don't respect, if you're with someone right now who you really don't think is a great friend of yours, then it's probably time to evaluate the relationship, consider leaving it, or consider seeing if your partner will go in and get help. Well, and I'm glad you said that because, again, I work with love and sex addiction. And especially when I'm looking at sex addiction, there is such partner betrayal that oftentimes the wife or the husband, whoever has been betrayed, um, they're very non-trusting. They're very accusatory. They're very protected and guarded. And we know that that is not a component of healthy love, but it is a component of post-traumatic stress, which is a result of that coupleship. So I'm always telling my clients, you know, it takes the brain some time to reboot um, based on your actions. And so if your wife or your husband is, 
inflammatory, accusing, assaultive verbally, they're probably doing that to protect themselves. And what you have to do is wear a firm coat of Teflon, know that you created the situation, and see if you can't develop some empathy for what's going on to move beyond it and restore into a normal, healthy relationship. Carol, it's so important what you just said. If, there, if, if our listeners right now are in an unhealthy relationship and you've been with, with this person for more than 60 days, you are equally as dysfunctional as the person who you think is creating the hell in your love life. So if, we, if, if, if you're dating a sex addict, and, and they're off with their pornography or they're having affairs or they're doing whatever, and you're staying with them, you are as big of the problem as they are because that's called enabling and that's a form of codependency. If you're with anyone that demeans you, that puts you down, you are just as much of the problem because you're not setting boundaries with consequences. An example of that would be, if you're going to continue to act out in your addiction and you choose not to go to work with the counselor with me, I will be leaving in 30 days or tomorrow. If you choose to stay in acting out with your alcoholism or your food addiction, and and I'm very harsh with these boundaries because listen, according to our work, about 80% of relationships in this country suck. Okay. They're terrible. 80%. Easily 80%. And we can back that statistic right away by saying 55% of couples divorce. So we know right away that 55% of the U.S. population's relationships are terrible. And then I don't have the time to get into the rest to show you how you got, we got to 80, but trust me, it's valid. And I say to people all the time, you know, they, they get out of a terrible relationship or they stay in one and they want to blame their partner. But a relationship can't stay together with only one dysfunctional person. The partner has to equal the dysfunction. So if you're dating a sex addict and you've been with them for a long period of time and you complain and and bitch about their addiction or an alcoholic, you are just as much of the problem. And when people can grasp that, Carol, and they can understand that, they can start to heal. But as long as they're projecting blame that the real problem is my partner, they'll never heal, and they'll never get it. And if they go to another relationship, they're going to repeat the same stuff. Well, and I absolutely get it. And probably, David, one of the things that I may vary a little bit about, so I want my listening audience to know, is that I come from um, a system and a belief and a philosophy that says, most partners of sex addicts did not know what was going on. The deceit and the despair and the lying and the cheating were all kept very confidential. And so, wham, they found out, they discovered that their husband or their boyfriend was a sex addict. Now, if they truly love that person, they're probably going to hang in there, and that does not make them codependent. They're in post-traumatic stress. What does, what is necessary, and you reference this with the codependency thing, is you said as a, as a person you need to know what the consequences and the boundaries will be to determine whether this person is the right person for you. Now, the majority of my listening audience, they're married. So that means that they have to decide If I'm going to stay married to this person, what am I going to do to stay safe? How am I going to feel better about me? And how am I going to evaluate how he's doing? And over the course of time, they're going to decide, do I really want to hang hang in there with this person? Yeah, and I would say that, you know, all addictions are pretty much the same, Carol, um, you know, you can be an alcoholic and hide it. You can be an opiate addict and hide it just like a sex addict. Uh, there's all, you know, gosh, we work with food addicts. And, of course, you can't hide the weight, but they hide all the food in their car and in the house. Um, you know, they'll go and eat 
2,000 calories at, at lunch from a, a convenience store and then just come home. And this just happened recently, and the guy goes home every night and tells his wife that he had a late lunch and he doesn't mm-hmm. need to eat dinner. You know, so there's all kinds of ways that we can hide addiction with sex addicts as well. But here's the thing that really concerns me. When you discover, and, and you know, and, unless you have your head underneath the sand because you really don't want to know the truth, when you discover that you're with an addict of any type, I recommend my clients to set up a program with a professional with a timeline because addicts are so manipulative. And, and listen, I'm, I've fully recovered from cocaine addiction. I have fully recovered from alcoholism, and I have fully recovered from codependency addiction in relationships. So I, I am great at this work of my, of my own stuff. But, but, you know, the, the problem that happens with this is that we continue to give individuals another chance and another chance. And the more chances you give your partner, the less they respect you. If you're not willing to put your feet in cement and put a timeline down and say, I want, this is what's going to happen with this relationship. You are a sex addict. You're an alcoholic. You're whatever you are. I want to save this relationship. I want to work with this, but you're going to have to work with me. And if you're not willing to go, and I have a a great story to share, if you're not willing to go once a week to a counselor, three days a week to meetings, if you're not willing to be tested, if you're not willing to send me a photo of where you are on certain Mm -hmm. times when I ask you to send me a photo, if you're not willing to do that, this relationship is done now. Now, that's not mean, that's not cool, because you mentioned a minute ago, how am I going to protect my self-esteem and, my, and my, my confidence if I'm with an addict of any type? Well, this is how you protect it. You set boundaries with strong consequences, and if they're not willing to do the work, Carol, I think it's insanity, absolute insanity, to stay with someone who refuses to work on their recovery. And well, I absolutely 100% if, if, agree with you, and I, I think that you're on the right track because it's really about, it's not about people having to be perfect. It's about setting your standards and watching to see if somebody is working towards them. And if they're not, it's probably time to give them the boot if you're married, if you're engaged, or if you're just dating that person. Now, you you, in a lot of ways, have made it your goal to be kind of a sexuality and relationship expert. And I want to ask you about this current phenomena of Fifty Shades of Grey. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts about that very popular book, Fifty Shades of Grey. Then I'm going to tell you what I think. Okay. All right, Carol. So my very first sexually uh, dysfunctional relationship from a sex perspective came in 1997. And, um, and I, and, and honestly, you know, in all of my work in the world of sexuality, I had never embraced alternative lifestyles until this woman walked in my office and she said, I want to divorce my husband. And I said, why? And she said, because we have two children. Our sex life was quote unquote normal until the last child was born and now he wants me to dominate him in the bedroom. And I think he's a freak, and I think he's got fetishes, and I think he has a sex addiction. And she went off on this whole thing. Well, at that time, a very good friend of mine was a sex therapist, and I told this potential client, I said, you know what, let me, let me do this. Let me convene with someone that knows alternative lifestyles very well. It's a friend of mine who was in Los Angeles. She was a counselor in Los Angeles, and she knows everything in 1997 about alternative lifestyles. And so I contacted her and she educated me over the course of six months. I did sessions with her on the phone and I got this outrageous education in the world of domination, submission, uh, S and M, the whole nine yards. So the Mm -hmm. women came back in and I was able to work with them. I was able to have the husband explain to the wife why he was so attracted to being dominated in the bedroom. Now, Domination goes on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 is whipping, blood, nails, pins. 1 is uh, 
I want you to take me by the hand and take me to bed. <laughs> so, you know, when people talk about S&M and domination and, and submission, we have these really weird ideas. It's not all put into one little box. So then now let's go to Fifty Shades of Grey. I was able to help that couple figure it out that he wasn't a sex addict, that he wasn't weird, that, and there was very good reasons why he wanted that. However, when you look at the Fifty Shades of Grey, the books, the thing that concerns me the most is that what those, those <clears throat> movies and those books are talking about is absolute chaos and drama when it comes to relationships. It, and your listeners, and you probably know what I'm going to talk about, but there's a term that submissives will do, and the girl in the movie is a submissive and Christian is the dominant. There's, there's a move that the submissive will do, and it's called topping from the bottom. And what that means is, is that the submissive isn't truly into being submissive. She likes to role play, but she's not going to succumb to the real-life enactment of what a submissive would do. So she pushes back, and she's a little bitch, and she's arrogant at times, and she says she wants X, but then she does Y. And it's very confusing, Carol. If you're in a relationship, a dominant submissive relationship, and the, the, the bottom, the submissive, starts pulling back and then decides she wants it again, then decides she doesn't, well, that's what the Fifty Shades of Grey is all about, and it makes me sick. Because that type of lifestyle can be outrageously healthy, incredibly respectful, if it's done with people that actually know what the lifestyle is. But if you were to watch those movies and say to your boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, I want you to make more money so you can dominate me, and then once you're being dominated, you you decide halfway through it to change your mind, that's called chaos and trauma. (laughs) Got it. So now let me ask you something else, because obviously you are um, you think out of the box, and that is what you your probably your greatest strength is. And I know that other people may disagree with you, but there will be times when someone is very stimulated and their partner is not. And you believe that in a great relationship, the person who is not stimulated should be taking care of the other person's sexual needs. Now, I, I do, too. I call it give him or her the gift that they're asking for because people aren't always horny. They're not always um, stimulated. They don't necessarily – they're not on the same page sexually all the time, and it truly is a way to give to your partner. Tell us a little bit about what you think. Yeah, Carol, thank you. And, I, and 99% of my, my work is out of the box. You're 100% correct. Um, it, listen, in relationships, there's, you know, the, the, the woman may have had a really rough week. Maybe her period sucked. Uh, maybe the guy had a really terrible day at the office and he was just torn apart by his boss. Maybe someone owns a business and their business is not pulling in the money and they're stressed to, to the gills. In a give-and-take, really loving relationship, there will be times when someone is not in the mood, and we believe in our practice that unless there's resentments, which could very well happen, and the person is not speaking about the resentments, but they're claiming they have a headache or they're tired or they're stressed, when the real root is is that they're pissed off at you because of something that happened two weeks ago or two years ago, In my work, I still try to encourage people to take care of their partners when they don't feel as horny, as you just said, as their partner is. I think that's a healthy relationship. And listen, on average, it takes a woman about 3.3 minutes to get a guy off. So it's not like you've got to plan your whole night around it. If, If the woman is horny and the guy isn't, yeah you're going to have to put a little bit more time than three and a half minutes. But what we tell people is, is that if you're a guy listening and your girl is really into having sex and she wants sex and you're tired, start texting during the day. If, if, if she texts you and says, Oh, you know what? It'd be so great to make love tonight. And let's say the guy is exhausted. Go ahead anyway and text some erotic messages 
send an erotic picture as long as you're not at work and using a work phone. Send, like, in other words, get her in the mood because if you can stimulate a woman during the daytime and have her excited when you come home, you've already caught the time to help bring her to an orgasm dramatically because so much of a woman's orgasm is mental stimulation. So I tell guys that, listen, if you're not in the mood, you've had a rough week, you don't feel like it, but your girlfriend or your wife really wants this, serve her. And the same thing from a woman. You're not in the mood, go ahead and serve him. If there are resentments that you're not talking about, that's the real reason you don't want to take care of their needs, you're going to have to take care of those resentments first. But after those are cleared up, I love this concept, Carol. Take down your guard. Let your ego go. You're a little tired. It's going to help cement the relationship before you go to bed to take care of your partner's needs. No, I am 100% behind that, too. It's not where you're um, negating your own sense, but if you're in a loving, caring partnership and you're not on the same page, it's important to tr- to give to that other person things that, that make a difference. Now, again, if somebody is um, not necessarily a sex addict, but if somebody is is compulsive with their sexuality. They want to have sex every day, and you got somebody else who says, you know what, my sex appetite is not that much. There's got to be room for negotiation and compromise. And when there is, it makes all the difference in figuring out how you can give and when you need to stand your ground. So, David, I so appreciate you sharing that. And I want to hear more about your book. The book is called Focus, Slay Your Goals, and you can get it on Amazon or probably on your website. Tell everybody what your website is. Sure, Carol. It's talkdavid.com, T-A-L-K David, talkdavid.com. Very easy to remember, and you'll be able to see that. And, Carol, let me do this for your listeners as well. Because we do talk about things out of the box and and that – If any of your listeners would like a free 20-minute phone counseling session and maybe they're curious about alternative lifestyle or maybe they're curious about their sex addiction or whatever, if they just go to talkdavid.com and send us an email through the Contact Us button and just say that I heard you on Carol's show, my team will set up a time for them and I to talk and I can give them whatever information that they may not have regarding these various topics we're talking about And one of the things that Wayne Dyer said to me in 1990 when I met him the very first time is he said, you know, you're going to go to the moon. He said, you know, and this was when I was brand new in talk radio, and he said, you know, your career is going to go to the moon. And he said, never forget this. You can never give too much of your service away. And, Carol, to this day, and I dedicate uh, my last book uh, to, to Wayne Dyer, and you know, to this day, his words resonate. And that's why I'd like to offer that to any of your listeners that are, are listening to this and going, I want more information on X. So just go to talkdavid.com, send us an email, tell us that you listen to me on Carol's show, and my team will set up the time to chat. Oh, thank you so much. You and I are both proponents of Wayne Dyer. God rest his soul. And, you know, he was a metaphysical genius and as well as a spiritual genius. So I will have my listening audience contact you again. They need to say that they heard your interview on Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And I just want to really thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And um, I'm looking forward to another interview and another book. Oh, absolutely. Carol, whenever I can be of help here, Please, I would love to to come back on with you. This is very enjoyable, and TJ will set it up as soon as you need it. All right. Thank you so much, David. You take care. Okay. Bye now. Bye now. All right. So that was David Essel, and he wrote the book, Focus, Slay Your Goals. He is a coach. He'll help you get to where you need to be. As you can see, he thinks out of the box, and he very much thinks like a coach. And so 
um, if you want to contact him, you know, it's so important for you to take your life to the next level and take a risk, take a chance. Um, you can contact me at Carol at carolthecoach.com, and I will get you to David's website. He told you what it is, but if you forgot, I'm there to help you get get your needs met because, you know, my first coaching principle is be 100% responsible for your behavior. But my second coaching principle is go in for the big ask. So thanks for being with me tonight. You know, I say at the end of every show, there will only be one of you. I want you to fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And we'll catch you next week for more Carol at carolthecoach.com and Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Talk to you soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.